Good morning, City Church. Um, there's just such a sense of celebration in the house of God this morning. Uh, if, if you didn't sense it, you didn't participate in it, you missed your opportunity and uh, need to jump in next time. So uh, before I even get started and before we pray, I just want to personally say this. Um, uh, okay, so not everybody knows me, so we have visitors every week. We have people online. I just want to make it clear, my name is Jim McLean. I am one of the elders that serve here in the church. Um, and so our pastor, Jim Simpson, does something, at least personally, that I find unusual uh, in the church and churches that I've been a part of. And that is, we believe, according to the Word of God, that an elder should be able to pre bring the Word of God. So we not only believe the Word of God says that, but our pastor is willing to step out of the way and allow the elders in the church to step up on the platform and take the risk and bring the Word of God. And I thank him for that because it's amazing because what he's doing is he's stepping out of the way and he's, he's doing what we're preaching right now as we go into the spiritual gifts. He's allowing people to operate in their gift. And, and to develop your gift, you have to find a place to plug in with your gift and then develop that gift. Uh, and then that's how that thing grows. And then you use it to edify and build up the church of God. Uh, so I just thank you for that. Uh, it's risky. Um, and I appreciate that. So he is here this morning. If you haven't met him, he's in the back back there, Jim Simpson. And uh, he is our pastor along, serves with his wife, Carmen, who was up here on the platform a moon ago. They launched this church, and my wife and I have been blessed to be a part of that. And we just love this church. And uh, I would love you, and you would be here, wouldn't be here if you didn't as well. So I don't have to sell you on that. But anyway, let's, uh, let's open up more prayer. Heavenly Father, we just praise your name. We worship you. We honor you, and like right now, Lord, although I'm standing on the platform, although I'm bringing the word, I just get out of the way. Lord, I ask you, I know your spirit's already here with us, and I know your word is anointed. It won't fall to the ground. It's going to accomplish what you send it to do, no matter what I do. But Lord, help me to get out of the way. Help me, Lord, as I bring the word, to, to bring it in a sense of humility about who I am. But Lord, help me to also empower me to bring it in a sense of boldness about who you are. Because, Lord, this is your church, and we're here for one reason. That's to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we honor you, we praise you, we worship you, we invite you. And we just uh, pray for the person here, Lord, who may not know you, that today they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Pray, Lord, for the person here who doesn't, isn't aware of the gifting of the Spirit that's in them that you've put there. Or maybe, Lord, they're just hesitant to step into that or, Lord, maybe it's been a while, or maybe they've been hurt in the past. I pray for them, Lord, that each person would be stirred by the Spirit of God, not by me, but, Lord, that they would respond to you and that they would respond to the gift and calling of God on their life for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been going line by line. And uh, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. The today's message, the name of it is the body of Christ, which has become very obvious as we go through this because it's the one thing Paul is continually saying. It almost becomes redundant because he keeps saying it so much. As we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 31, Paul is talking about using the human body as an illustration to talk about the body of Christ that we are if you're a believer in Jesus. So that's why we went with that message. But it's part of a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And as Pastor Jim pointed out last week, it's not the first letter that he wrote to them. This is at least the second letter he wrote to them because we know in this letter he refers to the first letter and they're writing back and forth. Paul's hearing of things that are happening there in that church. 
Maybe he's hearing about it through letters. Maybe it's because people are bringing word to him, but questions are being presented. Things are being addressed. And what Paul is doing in the passage we're looking at now, he's speaking to this church about the gift that they're operating in because they are operating in spiritual gifts. But what he's doing is he's bringing direction and he's bringing possibly correction and he's teaching them how the gifts operate and how we should operate in the gifts so that proper order occurs and that everybody's built up and that we lift up Jesus Christ, not anybody else. So here we are, spiritual gifts. As Pastor Jim said last week, when you start talking about spiritual gifts, we have all kinds of different reactions and it has a lot to do with what your background is. You could be unchurched, newly churched, previously churched, maybe left a church. And you could have been about spiritual gifts. People come at it different ways. What Paul was doing is he was specifically writing to them about this and he makes it clear he didn't want them to be uninformed. In fact, he didn't want them to be willfully ignorant. And what that means is you don't get to, if you're a believer in Christ and you love the Lord and you want to serve him, you don't, don't get to just go, I don't care. don't want to hear about those spiritual gifts. I'm checking out, not going to listen to it. Turn in the channel. I'll come back when you guys are done with it because this is part of who we are and it's part of how the church operates. On the other hand, Paul didn't want us to be misinformed. He did not want us to be misled. He didn't want us manipulated. I don't need to be emotionally manipulated. I don't need to be manipulated with the word or any other manner. I need to be led. I need to know the spirit of God. I need to know Jesus Christ. And I want the real move of the spirit of God in my life. And I am open to it and I am welcoming it. Paul wanted us to understand Paul wrote this purposely and he makes intentional conversation about this because he wants us to recognize what's of God and what's not of God so we can participate in the things of God. I want to drink deeply of the things that are of God. Now last week this passage was used and I just wanted to go back to it as we jump into the rest of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 4 through 7 Paul said, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Any gift of the Spirit that operates in me and through me is not to lift me up, make me impressive to anybody. It's for me to point people toward Jesus Christ and for the church to grow and be healthy and function as it's designed to. What Paul is talking about throughout this passage from 12 to 31 continually, it's almost like he's playing the drums and he just keeps rolling the same beat. He's talking about the unity of the Spirit operating in the church. And he wants us to catch it and he wants us to flow in it. What they were doing it seems when I read 1 Corinthians, at least chapters 12 through 14, what it, I get the picture of is they were elevating some gifts. They were moving in those gifts, but maybe that was the only gifts, and maybe there was too much of that. They were, they were really kind of out of order. There was a lot of some things happening, and maybe other things were being excluded. All the gifts need to be able to operate for us to flow as we should. The spiritual gifts are for building the church, and again, and elevating Christ Jesus. So if you would stand, we're going to do what we continually do. We're going to read through, and it's a lot of passages, 12 to 31. Hang with me. We'll get through that, and then you can sit back down. 
But we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, and we're going to run all the way to 31. So Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all are made to drink of the same or one spirit. For the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, what would be the, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And if all are a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which, are more, or which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. If there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, and if one member suffers, all suffer together, and if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God is appointed in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And then he asks a series of questions. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I'll show you a still more excellent way. You can be seated. It's a lot of verbiage. But there's some key things that Paul points out in that. I'll ask you to think about this. As he's explaining this and using the human body to make the illustration, and he keeps coming back to the same thing, kind of saying it over again, <clears throat> and then saying it again in a different way, he is trying desperately to communicate something that he wants us to understand. And then buried inside of that, in verse 13, he points out we're all baptized into one body. And in verse 18, he points out that God's the one who arranged the members as he chose. And then verses 24 and 25, he pointed out that God's composed the body to prevent division. And he's also done it to ensure that every part of the body gets the care that it needs so that it may grow as it should. And then he challenges us in verse 31 that we should desire the greater gifts. So here we are, spiritual gifts. Second week, going to go for at least two more. Uh, the spiritual gifts, when we go into this, you might think, exciting, awesome, been waiting for this, we're there, bring it, let me hear about it. And again, you might go, oh man, that's, that stuff's a little strange. I've seen that. I've heard about that. I went to that church one time. I was in one of those churches for a while. Whatever your background is, maybe it was a little strange. Or you might even look at it and go, oh, wait a minute. That's edgy. That's kind of weird. That kind of stuff. But I just challenge you to look at it through what the Word of God is saying. And let the Spirit of God speak to you. Let Him bring the Word of God alive in you. Because Paul wasn't hiding this stuff from us. 
Paul purposely sat down and wrote this out with instruction. The Spirit of God preserved it for us from the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church so we would have it today. And it's not just what the Spirit of God through Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. It's what the Spirit of God is saying to us today. It's for us. He doesn't want us to be uninformed, checking out and saying it's not for me. He doesn't want us to be misinformed, manipulated and taken advantage of in any way or misrepresented. He also doesn't want us, he does want us to understand it. He wants us to perceive it, understand it, and flow in it and operate in it as it's designed to. The one thing that I see continually being said through these verses is that the point is that we have to be one. We were created to be one. And really and truthfully, the church, and not just city church, when we say the church, I think everybody understands, but just to make sure we are talking about more than just city church. We're not talking about 1624 B Road alone. We're talking the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church of the living God. It is beyond this city, this state, this nation. It is worldwide. Uh, God blew my mind a couple of years ago. My wonderful wife and I had finally had the opportunity to go over to Israel for about 12 days. And the thing that blew my mind, we went into the West Bank to Bethlehem, and I had opportunity to meet a Jesus-loving Christian Palestinian, and it just blew my mind. I wasn't ready for that. I had my pre preconceived notions of who people were and what they were, but there are people who love Jesus all over this planet that are called, and I've met them, and if you're like me, you get the opportunity to travel or you meet people from other nations, you can relate to this, you'll meet somebody that loves Jesus, and there is a connection, and it is almost immediate. Sometimes you sense it before they even tell you they're a believer, or they tell you that they're a believer, and you go, ah, that's what it is, that's what it is, we're connected. There is a unity in the spirit here. But the church has allowed spiritual gifts to divide it for far too long. We're not going to fix that today, but what we can do is we can see what does this mean for us as a church and how are we going to operate in it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, he said, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. We're not just a bunch of random disconnected people. If we're believers in Jesus Christ, we are connected. We're connected through something he calls the body of Christ. And I want to be absolutely clear, Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head. He's the head. He's the one I'm following. I'll follow the appointed leaders he puts over me that are following him, and I'll follow them as they follow him. But he's the head of the church. Ephesians 1, and 23 said, He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And in Colossians 1, it says, And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him or in everything he might be preeminent. It's clear, Jesus is the head of the church. It's his church. We're connected to him. And since if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're connected to him, what that means is you're automatically connected to all other believers in Jesus Christ that are following him. Because if we're connected to him, we're connected to each other. And we're not talking about an occultist fashion. This is not some kind of weird thing. But we are unified with each other as his children, his sons, his daughters, connected to him who's the head of this church. And furthermore, we're baptized into one body. 12, 13 of 1 Corinthians, he said, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink 
of the one spirit. When I look at that, I go, well, let's see, Jews and Greeks, slaves are free. What that tells me, my national identity has nothing to do with it anymore. My social status has no influence or impact in this. Again, I've met people from other nations that love Jesus. If you come by my house, some of you have been there. Yeah, I've got an American flag hanging on a pole on the front of my house because I'm an American. I've served in the military in this nation. I'm proud of the heritage I have here, and I thank God that I've grown up in the United States. But that doesn't identify who I am anymore because I'm part of the body of Christ. It's bigger than that. My social status has no weight, doesn't have anything to do with the kingdom of God. We all drunk from the same spirit. And we're obviously talking about the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. We have a unity that surpasses anything that this world has to offer. It's bigger than that. We've been born of the Spirit of God. We've been filled with the Spirit of God. And depending on your background, and it's not the purpose for today, some people see that happening all at the same time. Some people teach it happened at separate times because it happened that way in the book of Acts. If you go back and read it, there are times when they came to Christ, came to faith in Christ, they were filled with the Spirit. And there were other times when they came to faith in Christ and later they were filled with the Spirit. I'll invite you to dig through the book of Acts and explore that. We've gone through the entire book of Acts as a church and there's a lot of content on YouTube to go back and look at. But in the end, we are all empowered. No matter how you see that, how you view that, we are all empowered by the Spirit of God for His service. And again... What we're saying is we're unified in one body and of one spirit. In Ephesians 4, verse 4 through 7, he said, he really drives it home here. He said, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ." gift your gift your calling your empowerment your gift of the spirit may not look like the other person next to you the other person may even be operating in the same gift at a different level and that's okay because it's according to the measure that he gives and as pastor jim said last week the result is up to god i've just got to be obedient i've got to walk in the shoes that he gives me to walk in and then leave the result up to him Chapter 12, verse 14 through 17, you could start with that very first verse and say, for the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. And then Paul goes into his favorite communication, it seems in this letter, sarcasm, and he gets very explicit and very sarcastic, trying to take something we know very well, our own human body, and use it as an illustration to explain the spiritual concept that he's communicating. He said, for the foot... If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, that would, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Look, it's like this. I'd be as, as plain and simple as I can. Paul is using sarcasm to express truth so that we can grasp spiritual concepts with something we recognize it's like this hey if my feet decided they had enough i'm done I'm not going to be feet anymore i don't want to be a foot i want to be a hand hands more visible hands more fancy it's got that thumb thing going on and it has more to utilize don't want to be feet i don't care if we can walk or not walk not my problem i'm a hand now well, it's ridiculous. I hear laughter. Because, and that's what Paul is looking for. Paul is telling us something we know. If the feet decide to no longer be feet, what happens to the body? It's crippled. 
It can't move anymore. And I've seen some amazing people walk on hands. That's not the point. God designed us to operate on feet. And if I'm a foot, I need to go, thank you, Jesus, for making me a foot. How can I best serve your body as that foot? That's what Paul's talking about. He goes on with it. Just to make sure we get it, he goes, look, if the ear said, hmm, tired of this whole hearing thing, I'm hanging out here on the sides of the head, you know, if they cover me with their hair, I don't really get the recognition that I need. I want to be an eyeball. That's what I want to do because then I get to take in all the beauty of the world around and people will be looking at me when we're communicating. That's what I want to do. I don't care if we can hear or not. Then obviously, again, we've lost the sense of hearing. What we know and what Paul is building on is the fact that we know every single part of the human body is absolutely necessary, even if we don't understand what its function is. I'm not willing to give up any of my parts. I want to keep them all. Uh, but if you're not in the place that God called you to, and if you're not serving in the spiritual gift that God's empowered you with, then what happens is something is missing that I or you are supposed to fulfill and what Paul is challenging us to do is find your place, fulfill your place. And I tell you what, I get excited. Every Sunday I come in here, and I don't know how much you're paying attention, but I come in here and I see another person up here playing an instrument, another person up here singing. People are getting it. A lot of people are serving. A lot of people are finding their place, and it just it, it fires me up. I go, people are hearing. People are responding. Somebody's going, hey, you know what? I can play an instrument. I think I'll do that. Or, or, I think I can sing, or at least I'm going to try to sing. And people are stepping up and taking their place. I think that's why we had to make the stage bigger, is to make room for the people that are willing to serve the Lord. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing. God's the one that arranged the body. He's the one that picked the place. He said in 1218, he said, but it's God who arranged the members in the body, each one of them as who chose? As God chose. He's the one that makes the choosing. Each part's required for proper function. I'll, I'll give you an example. I like to, I like to exercise. I've, I've liked to exercise for a long time. Uh, I know not everybody does. Some people do it grudgingly. Some people love it. I love the way it makes me feel. I enjoy it. Uh, many times I'll put on praise and worship music and me and the Lord to go in there and work out together. Uh, you can say that's weird, but uh, it's, it's just how I function. But I use this as an example because it taught me something several years ago, and it's been a little while now. I, was, uh, was doing it, I wasn't working out the house then. I was going around to the YMCA, and I was working on my bench press. And you know us guys, we want to be able to bench press, and we got like a number in our head. Hey, I want to hit that, and I'm trying to go there. Never got there, by the way, but that's not how God made my body. Uh, but I'm using what he gave me, okay? Uh, but what ended up happening is I was working on that to exclusion of some other things because I didn't really understand something. And what ended up happening, I started having shoulder pain in this right shoulder. It started developing. First, it was light. It continued to get worse, and then it became severe. And then it got to the point where it was, hey, I've got to do something about this. Now, if I was a smart man, I would have gone to a doctor and let somebody look at that. I didn't. I did some research. I looked into it on my own. And what I discovered, and I know there's a lot more depth to this, but the way I can understand it is this shoulder joint is kind of like a, a golf ball. Uh, up, here you go. It's like a golf ball sitting on a tee. I know there's more to it than that, but this is what under, I understood. 
And what holds that golf ball on the center of that tee properly so that it can function and operate and have full range of motion is three different heads of muscles, one on the front, one in the back, and one on the side. What I was doing is I was working one as I was doing chest exercise, and I wasn't working the other two. What I was doing is I was creating a dangerous condition. I was pronating that shoulder out of its proper alignment and it was starting to pull in the other direction. That was not only causing pain, but if I continued to allow that to function that way and operate that way, I'd actually create damage long term. So what was happening, Jim? Okay, thanks for that. I'll do that when I work out. What I started doing is I started working all three heads of the muscle. And I started working them sometimes in unison, and it was amazing. It didn't take but a few days. Pain started changing. Within a couple of weeks, the pain was gone. Now, what I mean by that, and the point that I'm making, like Paul, is what I was doing is I was emphasizing one area, but I was overlooking other areas. And what I was doing is creating a dangerous condition, and I was creating a weakness in my body. That's what Paul's trying to communicate to us. Every area is vitally important. He said in 19 and 20, he said, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet it's one body. The truth is what Paul's continually saying to us is that the body needs every single part in their place, every single part performing their function to operate as it's supposed to. Some of those parts you can see, some of those parts you can't see. And he gets into that 21 through 24, and I'm going to stop right in the middle of 24, and I'm going to come back to the rest of that in a moment. He goes, again, he's making examples. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Again, if I can make an illustration, it's not all about the eyeball. Everybody can't be the eyeball. It's what Paul's saying. I, some of you know my wife, Brenda, and I'm going to embarrass her right now. She's got beautiful blue eyes, and I love her eyes. I love her, but uh, I'll just tell you, I come home in the afternoon sometimes, and I give her this look, and she's like, quit that. I, those, I don't know how to explain it to you. I look her in the eye, and I just get sucked in. It's like a vortex that pulls me in uh, because the eyes are beautiful. The eyes can be beautiful. And the eyes take in beauty and see it and process it. Who wouldn't? What part of the body wouldn't want to be the eyeball? But if you take the eyeball by itself and remove it from the body and laid it on this table, it would be an object of horror <laughs> because we can't all be just an eyeball you got to have everything together to make the eyeball beautiful. Hopefully two of them. Uh, what we do and what Paul's addressing is the fact that we focus on things that we think are important. But even the parts that we don't see are important. The things we think are unimportant, Paul said, are absolutely indispensable. Back in 24, if you pick that up and go into 25, he says, God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. See, God designed the body so that there wouldn't be division. If we're operating as we're supposed to, it creates unity instead of creating division. Jesus prayed this. 
In, in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 21, he said, they're, they're, they may be one, and he's talking about us. He's talking about those that were there with him personally, those that would come after them, and that's us all the way to our day, that we may all be one, just as you, Father, and are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that what? The world may believe that you've sent me. Our unity is a witness to the world that the unity of the church, the body of Christ, is a witness to the world that Jesus came and that he's unified with the Father and he's unified with us. So I have to wonder, has the witness of the church over the centuries provided the right witness or have sometimes, if we're honest, sometimes our personal desires have created division in the body that didn't provide the right witness to the world but rather cause division. And we need to grow up and grow past it. Look, if one member suffers, verse 26, all suffer together. If one member's honored, all rejoice together. But the only way that happens is I've got to know you. And you've got to know me. I've got to be willing to be vulnerable. I've got to be willing to let you into my life. I've got to be willing to let the wall down that you know what's going on inside of me. You've got to be willing to do it. Let me know what's going on inside of you so that we can either suffer together, pray together, celebrate together and the best place i know for that to happen is in a community that community is more than just i'm so thankful you're here this morning i don't want to take this the wrong way but it's more than just coming in on sunday morning and singing the songs and doing the thing and going home and maybe grabbing lunch with somebody maybe not it's getting to know each other it's being part of a community and we provide community groups for that to happen and and i'll be honest that that's it takes courage it means letting down the wall. It means being vulnerable. It means maybe getting hurt. And if you've, we are all adults in here, I think, and uh, there's probably some kids as well, and they won't know this, haven't learned this yet, but I think everybody in the room can relate to you. I've been in a relationship or relationships where you've been hurt, taken advantage of, overlooked, or, and, and you get wounded. And what ends up happening is you build up walls, you go, never again, never again. I'll never fall in love again. I'll never be a part of a group again. I'll never be a part of a church again. And it divides the body of Christ instead of being unified. And in a community, what we see happening in our community group, and it happens in other community groups, is it's a beautiful thing when you see people talking about the Word of God and they're having a conversation somebody else says, you know, I don't think I agree with the way you said that. I don't think that's what that means. And then there's not a fight about it, but there's a conversation about it. And then iron is sharpening iron, and we're getting to know each other, and we're growing together. That's how this is supposed to happen. This is how it's supposed to operate. The body of Christ, more than just city church, it's worldwide. We said that, but verse 27 of chapter 12, he said, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. What I take out of that is you don't need to be me and I don't need to try to be you. We need to do what Pastor Jim said last week, and I love this phrase he used, own who you are in Christ. Who did God make you to be? Who did he knit you together to be? Be that person. What gift of God did he place in you, the Spirit of God? And what calling does he have on a life, in your life? Own it. Walk in it. Don't try to be me. Don't try to be somebody else. I, some of you know me and you know my story. I came to Christ at 31. I finally, praise God, he didn't give up on me, but I finally surrendered my life to the King of Kings. Well, immediately, I needed a transformation in my life, and I knew, hey, this is, I got a lot of renewing of the mind to happen. But what I didn't need to do is try to be somebody else. And nobody needs to try to be me. We need to all try to be more like him. 
What I mean by that is you're unique. God made you unique. And you need to be who He made you to be. Because what you do is you are made with a purpose, on purpose, and you bring something to the church that would be missing otherwise. And the gifts that you have, that the Spirit of God has bestowed on you, those were given with a purpose, on purpose, and we need those to be functioning, to be who we're supposed to be. I'll tell you what, you're never going to feel more alive you're never going to feel more plugged in than when you discover what your spiritual gift is, you step into it, and you start to develop it and operate in it. Verse 28, he said, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And then he asked a series of questions in response to that. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues and do all interpret? Again, we can't all be the eyeball. And I'll remind you, when we're talking about gifts, a definition I found that I like was, it's a grace endowment to edify the church, focusing on the end result of the endowment of grace. It's divinely empowering a believer to share God's work with others, spiritually empowered service to the church to carry out His plan for his purpose. It's given to build up the church, not me. And, and I go through this hurdle every time I get the opportunity to come up here and share the word. I have to go through the whole emotional hoopla thing of preparing the message, getting prepared spiritually, making sure the content's as accurate as I possibly can, and then figuring out how to get out of my own way and remember that it's not about me. And whether anybody likes my style of teaching, it's about what someone might hear the Spirit of God saying to them, and then they respond to Him, not me. Now, I'm not going to talk about apostles, prophets, or teachers. Pastor Jim did that. He covered this, and if you haven't seen that message, I invite you to go to YouTube and look up The Church, A Secret Society. We did a study on the book of Ephesians earlier this year, and the portion that he covered this was in Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 16, specifically verse 11. Did a great job of that. I need not say anything more about it. Last week, he stepped right into, in chapter 12, miracles, healings, and touched on the various kinds of tongues. That's in last week's content. And then in a few weeks, he'll be going into chapter 14. We'll be dealing with that quite a bit. So we're not going to talk about that. What we're going to look at is two gifts of the Spirit that if we don't talk about them today, we're going to miss them completely. Chapter 12, verse 28, Paul mentions two gifts. One's helping, and the other one's administrating. I know, they're not real exciting. Not real visual. Nobody's going, way, man, we had church today. Praise God we were administrating. <laughs> wow, we had the helps working. Yeah, they're not real flashy. I'll tell you what, they're indispensable. Got to have them. This gift of helps, it only occurs one time in the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, at least in the plural sense. And when Paul uses that word, what he's referring to is something that God is working, bringing his helps of grace and power to meet someone's need, but he's doing it through someone as he directs. So he doesn't do it directly. He chooses you or he chooses me and he works through us to help someone else. 
Another way you could look at this, these are generally people who operate in the gift of helps. They're usually behind the scenes. They're usually someone you might not even know they're a part of what's going on. They, they usually don't want to be seen. They're in the background. They're sacrificing their time, their energy. They're getting involved. They're fulfilling a role. They're supporting other people, taking responsibility off their back. They get little to no recognition. And really, the honest truth is they're easily overlooked. They're easily taken for granted. And they are vitally important. Got to have people operating in helps. And the Holy Spirit gives instruction to us who operate in the gift of helps. If you go over to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, he says this is what you should do when you're in a place of serving. He speaks of those who speak. Whoever speaks, who speaks the oracles of God. But he says to those who are serving, whoever serves as one who serves by what? The strength that God supplies when you're doing the thing to fulfill the role to help. It's God that's supplying the strength that you're operating in so that you can continue to do it. Whether anybody knows you're doing it, anybody pats you on the back or not. If you walked through the parking lot this morning and you saw a bag of trash or a can over to the side of the parking lot and you went, you know what, I'm going to go take care of that because nobody else saw it. And you grab it and throw it in the trash. You're helping. Oh, Jim, that's such a small thing. It's important. All the little things, that, everything that goes together this morning. Not everybody was in here this morning before the service started. There was a whole lot of activity going on in the corner. Three or four people working diligently at the last minute one more time to fix that screen over there. And there's so many things that go on in the background behind the scenes of names of people that we don't even know are doing the things that they're doing. And they're just doing it because they love Jesus. And it's God who's given them the strength for them to continue to function and fulfill the role that they've allowed themselves to be used for. You just see it needs to be done and you do it. You see the person who's dejected and alone and quiet and maybe, maybe they need somebody to talk to and you just walk over and you introduce yourself and you ask, hey, can I pray with you? Can I talk to you? What's going on? How are you doing? There's also people who operate in this that seem to be that they're supporting people in the ministry all through the Word of God, like Joshua served Moses, Timothy served Paul, and there's an endless number of these. Uh, but... People that are in ministry, they need people coming alongside of them and encouraging them and strengthening them and fulfilling and helping them They're not so they don't try to do it all by themselves. This word administration, the gift of administration that Paul uses, this, one, this one's someone who steers. Somebody who's, it's like a captain of a ship. They're up there and they're steering the boat and they're charting the course. It's a divine calling, empowering someone to lead in affairs relating to the church, and it specifically seems to revolve around church government. And it's interesting, the only place you'll find it in Scripture is 1 Corinthians 12, 28. That's why I didn't want to miss it. We miss it and we'll never speak about it. Now, somebody in the room who knows their word goes, well, wait a minute, Jim. Uh, there's that whole Romans chapter 12 thing where he talks about the body and he talks about the gifts, and it is, and it's very familiar. But when Paul does that, in Romans chapter 12, he uses a completely different Greek word than the one he used for administration. The one that he uses in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, is actually translated leads. I'm not giving you the definition. You can look it up. It's a completely different word. Now, is that intentional? People seem to disagree. Is there two gifts? Is it two gifts, two descriptions of the same gift? I, I'm not quite sure. I'm not going to be able to settle that. But what does seem to be very apparent is somebody who operates in administration or operates in leadership within the church specifically, they're able to organize other people who are operating in their gifts to help accomplish something that needs to be done. And administration or leadership 
is very important in a church. I know you'll agree with me. And I, I think you'll agree, pastors and elders, they absolutely need to be operating of the gift of leadership, the gift of administration. And they need to, as we believe, at least in a city church, they need to be operating in a gift of, uh, out of a place of humility. The, the way our church operates is you get involved in leadership by invitation only. And that happens over a period of time as we get to know you, we see you, we see the fruit of your life, and we see that you love Jesus, we see that the evidence of the Spirit of God is operating in your life, and we want to make sure that you're going to be bleeding out of a place of humility. Because this is not about lording it over anyone. This is about sacrifice and giving of yourself. And John, in one of his letters, gives us an example of a poor Christian leader. We see that in 3 John, uh, verse 9 and 10. He says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes... Who likes to be put, he likes to be put himself first. He does not acknowledge our authority, so if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing and talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and he also stops those who wants to and puts him out of the church. So Diotrephes is an example of a church bully. He's he's it's all about him. He, he wants to control it. He wants to lock it down. He wants to tell everybody what they can do. And anybody doesn't fit into his agenda, he's like, no, we're not having it. That's obviously not somebody operating in the gift of administration or leadership as the Spirit empowers. So God called leaders, what they'll do, a God called leader is going to do what's best for the church, even when it's hard. And a lot of times it is hard. They're going to have the hard conversation among themselves. They're going to have the hard conversations with the person who needs it. They're going to go out of the way. They're going to give of themselves. They're going to take the time. They're going to do what's best. They're going to seek God about the best answer to each solution. And then they're going to see it through. Again, believers in Jesus Christ are gifted by God as God wills. And he does it for one reason. That's to build up his church. And it's not always easy. And, and it's you may be a new believer, you may be a, uh, a return to the church, you may be, this may be something new to you, you, maybe you haven't stepped out, or maybe you have in the past. I can tell you personally, I have, I've been hurt, I've, I've made missteps, I've tried to make this journey and finish this journey well. I've been serving the Lord now over 30 years, and uh, I just praise God He didn't give up on me, but I'll, I'll just tell you quickly, if you bear with me, I, in my journey with the Lord, previous church that I was a part of, loving Jesus, teaching, operating in what I believe the God, gift and calling of God he has on my life, uh, spending a number of years there teaching an adult class and uh, spending time in prayer with God. And the more, the, the, the more I would seek God, the more I'd feel him drawing, and I don't know how to explain it, calling. It reminded me of when I came to Christ when I was 31, it was the same sensation. I'm, I'm loving Jesus. I'm serving as an elder in that church, and I'm pre preaching the word or teaching the word, and I'm trying to bear a witness inside the church, outside the church, serving in other ministry capacities, and I just didn't know how to respond to it. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know where to make the next step with it. So the denomination I was a part of, the only other thing I could really do is I could sign up into a program where it was a one-year study, and then at the end of that, I would have achieved a... a, a credentials and I'm like okay Lord I guess that's that's the only thing I know I can do and I spent time in prayer today I wasn't really hearing clearly so I stepped into that and then God redirected me that's not what God called me to do because in that denomination to obtain that 
status, that level of credential, the next thing would happen is they'd be asking you to take a church. And I didn't really believe that that's what God had for me to do. God's called me to the private sector. And I'm coming up toward the end of my career. Uh, and that's where he's had me and he's prospered me there and he's allowed me to serve. What I didn't do, even though that hurt, I'll, I'll just be honest, that hurt. It, it took a period of time when you step out onto something and you believe God's directing you to and you step out there and it, the door shuts, it hurts. You get wounded and it took a while for me to work through that process and come to peace with that in my spiritual walk. But what I didn't do is I didn't quit. I didn't quit teaching. I didn't quit serving as an elder. I didn't get mad and leave the church. I continued to serve in the capacity God gave me. And what I did then is I said, okay, what I'm going to do is I signed up with the college, with our church. And, our, and I started taking some online courses. And I went, I'm going to pursue my biblical studies on my own. Because God's called me to teach. And I'm going to teach wherever he gives me an opportunity to do so. And to do that, I need to know the word of God. So I continue to pursue that. Your story's going to be different than my story. But you need to be seeking what God's called you to and earnestly desiring that gift because it's not about you. Everybody's not gifted to pastor a church. But I'll tell you another thing. Pastor Jim and this staff, they are not called to do every single thing that goes on in this building and outside this building, and they don't have the capacity to. Every member of the body of Christ should be serving in their area of spiritual gifting. And we're not just talking about human effort, because if we're operating in human effort and human effort alone without the empowerment of the Spirit of God, the only thing we're going to do is exhaust ourselves, and we'll have somewhat of an impact, but it'll be limited. But if we allow the Spirit of God to flow through us and provide the unction, the, the power behind it, then we're going to impact this city. We're going to impact as the Lord wants to and add to His church daily, because we're dependent on each other. There's nobody that can do all of this by themselves, and there's nobody called to do it by themselves. It's all going to cost every one of us something. It's going to cost being vulnerable. It's going to cost risking having your feelings hurt. It's going to risk, hey, I think that's what the Lord wants me to do, and then you try it, and maybe that's not what the Lord wants you to do. And then you go, okay, Lord, what else might you have for me to do? Chapter 12, verse 31, he said, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I'll show you a still more excellent way. And that excellent way is going to pop in next week as we get into chapter 13. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Hmm. It almost sounded like before he was saying, Be content with what gift you have. And I think that he is. I don't think that that's what he's saying. But what he is saying is, I break those words down. The word desire there is actually to desire earnestly, it's to pursue, it's to go after it. And the higher that he uses talking about the gift is a thing to be highly esteemed for its excellence equivalent to excellence. So, so what I hear him saying is it's up to us to pursue it. Be content with what he gives you and operate in that and grow that gift, but be earnestly pursuing what else he has for you. I'm not ready to sit down and, and finish the rest of my life just sitting in a chair. I want to know what God's got for me next. I want to finish well. I want to leave this world exhausted, having given everything I have to my king, because he gave everything for me. 
when the body's assembled together, what Paul's going to bring up in chapter 14 is that teaching and prophecy is really the, has the greatest impact because we're all stirred. We all grow. So that's probably the greatest gift. Now, not everybody's going to be a teacher. Maybe everybody's not going to teach here, but maybe you teach somewhere else. Maybe there's another capacity. Only you can answer that by seeking God about what his call is on your life. But we should be looking for it. What Paul's challenging us to do is to stand up and take our place and fulfill our role because we're responsible to discover what our gift is, to de develop the spiritual gift that he's given us, and then to also share the spiritual gift that he's given us because otherwise the body's at a deficiency. I'm telling you, you're never going to feel more alive than when you discover your gift, when you step into that role and you start to develop that gift and you start to see the Lord working through you and touching somebody else's life in whatever capacity he's given to you. But you've got to develop it. You've got to operate in it because our example is Jesus Christ and he's the greatest servant of all. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And he sets the example for us to follow. What we're called to do is be the body of Christ. And you're never more like Jesus than when you're serving, sacrificing, and giving of yourself for someone else. And we're never more unlike Jesus than when we're looking for our way, demanding recognition, or looking for the personal reward in it. He's called us to serve. We have to do this effectively. First of all, we've got to be a born-again believer. We've got to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And, and if you're not, I, the Spirit of God is speaking to you. Because you can change that today. We'll have a prayer ministry team in the back in just a moment as we begin to bring this to a close. And, and we'd be happy to pray with you, talk with you about that, lead you in that prayer. Uh, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have to be in a place where you're sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying. You have to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. You have to be open to the Holy Spirit of God. And you have to be eager to serve in whatever gift it is that He's given you. You've got to be willing to do that. And that's the only way we're really ever going to change our world is when we allow Him to work through us and impact the people around us. Uh, let's, let's stand and pray, and then we're going to adjourn. But Heavenly Father, we just praise Your name. We worship You. We honor You. We seek Your face. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you didn't leave us to do this in human capacity, but Lord, you've empowered us by the gifts and power of the Spirit of God that works in us and works through us. Lord, we just invite you today, and Lord, we pray for the person here who may not know you. We pray, Lord, for the person who may be struggling, thinking, hey, my gift's not important, because every single gift is important. And we pray, Lord, that you would empower us, that you would stir us, and that you would send us, Lord, into this world so that we could have an impact for you in Jesus' name. Amen.